0: Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful we don't want you to fall asleep because we'd love to have you tune in next week. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. The peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to First Baptist Church, and we are grateful that you are here to worship with us, whether that be in person or via Zoom or YouTube Live. We are grateful that we can be together in all those many ways. Also, if you're worshiping from home, you may notice that the view on your computer is a little bit different this morning. Uh, We're having some difficulties with our control panel on the camera, so we have just set a wide-angle shot for you. So that's the shot you'll see from the sanctuary. Maybe it'll make you feel like you're sitting in the pew just looking over, you know. We are glad, though, that you can join us and that we can worship together. So October 31st is Reformation Day, I know it's also Halloween and trick-or-treating, and I'll talk about how those things may tie together. But it is Reformation Day, and since the 31st has landed on a Sunday, I'm going to focus on the Reformation during worship. And so I want to offer a a thought to you from Martin Luther as we begin worship, and it has to do with music. And you're going to hear A Mighty Fortress, which is one of Luther's most well-known hymns. And so just before that, let me, let me tell you what uh, Martin Luther thought about music. A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper <laughs> and does not deserve to be called a human being. <laughs> That's Luther, not me and therefore he should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of mules and the grunting of hogs. So uh, instead of any mules or hogs, instead we will hear voices and organ this morning and we will give thanks to God for that gift of creation. So may we now join our hearts and our minds together to worship God. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Jesus, and perfecter of our Gather us together this Reformation Sunday, O God. May the conviction of your grace be written on their hearts.
1: from uh, sorry, um, a prayer from our brothers and sisters across the world that was written um, from the Reformed Church. So join me. Oh, God, you made us in your own image and redeem us through Jesus, your son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infects our hearts break down the walls that separate us, unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggles and confusions to accomplish your purpose here on earth, that in good times, that in your time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
2: If you'll take your bulletin and read responsibly with me, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore
3: we will not fear, though the earth is changed, though the mountains shake in the heart
2: the sea Though its waters roar and foam, through the mountains tremble with its tuberculosis. God is in the midst of the city; it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns.
3: The, the nations are in uproar; the kingdoms power. He utters his voice; the earth fails.
2: The Lord of hosts is with us; the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord. See. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire.
1: Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the
3: nations. I am exalted in
2: the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
1: From Galatians 2, chapters, uh, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law I have died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The Word of the Lord.
4: reading this morning is Romans 3 19 through 28 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God for no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law for through the law comes the knowledge of sin But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? by that of works? No, but by the law of faith, for we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So it was on this day, October 31st, back in 1517, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of All Saints Church, also known as the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And and that was the start of the Reformation, which is why some call this Reformation Sunday, but it is also All Hallows' Eve which is where we get the word Halloween, and All Hallows' Day is tomorrow. So All Hallows' Eve today, All Hallows' Day tomorrow, more commonly known as All Saints' Day. So that's how those sort of all intertwine with each other. Now if you look back on the historians, there are some who will, who will question whether Luther actually literally nailed those 95 theses on the chapel door. Some say he just sent them to the bishop but one of the entrances to the church did serve as a bit of a bulletin board really for the university and for the community. And so it seems likely that he would have left them there. And the fact that he did this the day before all saints day, when he knew there'd be a lot of people come to church on all saints day, well, that'd be a good time to voice your concerns to get the word out. He couldn't tweet it. So you had to get it out there somehow. And so, It is important, I think, to put Luther's words and Luther's call for reformation in the proper context. It is very important to say he was not attempting to start a new church. You should know that he did not intend to start a new church. He certainly did not intend to start something called Lutheranism. He would have been kind of appalled that they would have named a denomination after him. What he was attempting to do was to reform practices within the Roman Catholic Church that he believed were problematic. And in many ways, Luther would have said he was trying to reform the church because he was a good Catholic. That's why he did it, not because he was trying to rip the church apart. But if you wanted to get an understanding of 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 what his main objection was if you want to put a picture on it or a face on it it's the sale of indulgences that was what luther was really disturbed about an, indul- an an indulgence is a way to reduce the amount of punishment that one must undergo for their sins and so indulgences oftentimes were prayers or or a particular good work that you might do. And so the indulgence could be for you, could be for someone else living, it could even be for someone who had died who you thought was was in purgatory. You you may have in fact heard that saying from uh, Johann Tetzel, uh, the minister who said that as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from Purgatory Springs. You may have heard that. Um, That's what Luther was objecting to. And I will just, I'll kind of add a little parenthetical. If you wanted to drop five brave tickets in the offering plate tonight for game five, (laughs) it'll be okay. The Lord won't hold that against it, and I'd be very grateful for that. It's not really, you know. Anyway, Anyway, the idea, the idea was that You could buy your forgiveness you could buy your salvation and this idea was repugnant to luther as it should have been and luther saw the practice as the very antithesis of the gospel and then to make matters worse they were actually using this money from the sale of indulgences to rebuild saint peter's basilica in rome so not only was it really bad theology about you can buy forgiveness and that kind of thing, but, but it was a, a disproportional kind of taking advantage of the poor to rebuild a church, which is like a triple whammy, really, right? Really bad theology, you're taking advantage of the, church, of the poor to, to, to build this church. And so this, this kind of sale of indulgences, I think, is what pushed Luther over the edge and what is often known Uh, to have triggered his uh, protest. And there are really kind of three main theological points underneath this that that serve as the foundation for Luther's protest. And the text that you heard read here, the text from Galatians, the text from Romans, those were texts that Luther, uh, that really helped him think in these ways. This first one, by salvation, by faith alone. That was, if you want to understand Luther, that was his his most, um, I guess, the the central part of his theology. Salvation by faith alone, which is to say that, that salvation is not earned by following the law, it is not earned by good works, it certainly can't be bought, but salvation is a gift from God. It is grace. So that undergirds all of Luther's theology. And where did Luther get this? Where did he get it from? Well, he got it from the scriptures, right? So this second sort of foundational view of Luther is called sola scriptura in the Latin. Sola scriptura. It means scripture alone. And what Luther really means by that is that the scriptures are the ultimate authority for faith and practice. It must be found in the scriptures. Luther put it this way, one way, one time. He said that a simple layperson armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without scripture. A simple layperson armed with scripture, greater than the mightiest pope without scripture. And then the, the third belief here that's that's foundational to his thinking is this idea that all we Baptists know about, priesthood of all believers, the priesthood of all believers. Again, Luther finds this in the scriptures and becomes convinced of it. And he's a professor of theology, by the way, he's a teacher. And so he came to believe that when you are baptized into the faith, you are also ordained. That you've been set apart to do ministry. Not, not to be your own priest. That, that's, that wasn't his point. Sometimes we read it that way. Well, we're all our own priests, no We are priests to each other. That's really what Luther meant by this idea of priesthood of all believers, that we are all priests and that we are priests to each other. And so Luther saw a church that had become too corrupt and too authoritarian. And he wanted to do something about it. Again, he wasn't looking to start his own church. He was looking to reform his current one. And his beef with the church was a lover's quarrel. That is important to remember, right? Like, sometimes people have a beef with the church and it's not a lover's quarrel, right? They just despise the church, perhaps, or they've had bad experiences and they don't. Want... Luther's beef with the church is a lover's quarrel. He is only doing this out of a sense of love. And therefore, he was right. He was right to protest. And the truth is, it worked. It worked. Luther's attempt to reform the church worked in a way that he could have never imagined. You could have never really fully imagined the way that the Protestant Reformation would take shape. But Europe was ready for it. Europe was ready for it in a way that no one really could have imagined either. And so it spread. And it worked. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean the pope said, Okay, Martin, you're right. No, it didn't work in that way. The Pope declared Luther a heretic. What I mean is that eventually a majority of the people came to agree with Luther, and even now in the Roman Catholic Church, they mostly agree with Luther about these points that he raised. If you know anything about Vatican II, that would kind of be really the high point of that, kind of the high watermark of of Luther's reforms. So on the one hand, it really worked. And on the other hand, well, it failed. And I say failed to be a little bit dramatic. What I really mean is that the work to reform the church is never complete. It is never finished. The work to reform the church is never finished because guess what? The church is made up of people like you and me. Which is to say the church is made up of sinners. Always has been, always will be. And so the church is always in need of reform. And in some ways, in some ways we we have two choices. The first choice is a combination of complacency and cynicism and apathy. And, And you could describe it this way. You could say, well, preacher, you just said the church is made up of a bunch of sinners, so what do you expect? It just is what it is. That's one choice. The other, the other is this surely those of us who have received the grace and the mercy and the love of God can do better. Surely those of us who claim to follow Jesus, surely we can at least look like we're trying to. And surely those who claim to believe in the Holy Spirit, surely we can be open to the Spirit, can be open to the spirit transforming us and changing us. And I really think those are the two options. Cynicism and apathy and complacency, or we can be open to what the spirit might do. Now let's just be frank for a minute. The church in America is in a really tough place right now. It's in a tough place. We are in decline. The decline that has happened in Europe for decades, you can see that happening here too. We're just a little behind, but it is happening. So you can add to that decline, you can add to the political polarization that we are also experiencing here in america and and this polarization is all around us it's it's in the air we breathe now you think about the time the amount of time that the church has each week to shape and form us think about it how much time does the church have each week to shape and form us what is that an hour maybe two Maybe a little more. Now you think about the amount of time that cable news and social media has to shape and form us each week. Not even close, is it? You think about how you spend your week and the way you use your time. It's not even close. Alan Jacobs, who teaches at Baylor, he said it this way. He said, this is true of both the Christian right and the Christian left. He said, people come to believe what they are most thoroughly and intensively taught to believe, and that teaching comes not from the churches, but from the media that we consume, or better yet, the media that consumes us. And then he says, churches barely have better than a snowball's chance in Hades than shaping people's lives. That's not very good odds. I I, I find that statement to be especially depressing because it seems to be true. It seems to be true. Not only does the polarization seep into the church and 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 separate us, but but what the real problem is, is that we end up being led by someone other than Jesus. And, and then you add to these difficult circumstances, I mean, there are already, you know, declines, a fairly big one polarization, a fairly big one, then you add in the pandemic. You add in now 20 months of this and the pandemic has, and this has worn us out, right? I mean, everybody's worn out We're tired. And the pandemic has also exacerbated the polarization. I had no idea. I would have lost this bet. I had no idea that masks and vaccines could be so divisive. I didn't really see that coming. but they have been and why it's not because mask and vaccine are actually divisive. It's because our culture is in turmoil. It's because we are so polarized. It doesn't matter what happens. It just becomes another issue to divide people. And if you are not convinced of the dangers of that, I would ask you to reconsider it because it is extremely dangerous and it's a symptom of this deep deep problem that we have a problem that I think is likely to get worse but my actual point about the pandemic even more than that is the fact that it has kept us from being together in normal ways now for a really long time and this is long enough for people to develop different habits and different patterns of living and we knew this when this first started we said the longer this goes on the more detrimental it will be for churches and we could name a bunch of other stuff right but that's probably enough those three and it would be easy it would be easy to to think about the situation in which we find ourselves. And to just give way to the complacency and the cynicism and the apathy. It would be real easy to do that. But I think that you and I both know that is not what we are called to do. That's not what God wants us to do. It's not what God expects us to do. it is our turn to reform we are ripe for a reformation we need a reformation some say they come along about every 500 years some of our historians if you look at the history of the church Now, here is one of the dangers with the Reformation, like if we choose to take up this task of how do we reform ourselves? Here, here, here's, here's a couple of things that are dangerous about that. It's really easy to criticize and it's really hard to change. It's really easy to criticize, but it's really hard to change. It's really easy to protest, but it's really difficult to produce good fruit. I mean, we could sit down right now and we could come up a list with everything about the church. I don't just mean First Baptist Church, I mean the church, universal. We could sit down and come up with a list of all the things that need to be reformed. Luther had 95 shucks, we could come up with 905, I'm convinced, right? And the truth is, most of us are fairly gifted in the areas of critique and complaint, I know that I am. But but the thing is, like reform, reformation being reformed and reshaped, it takes a lot more than complaint and critique. It takes a lot of hard work. And the truth is it's not very exciting work. It's sort of long, slow, tedious work, and then here's the real bad news. We cannot do it. That's the real bad news to that. We cannot do it. which is what Luther understood. He understood that we are incapable of the reform that we need, and only by God's grace, only by God's mercy, can we actually be reformed. Now, does it require work from us? Yes, it absolutely requires work from us, but it is ultimately dependent upon God. Luther was a pretty quotable guy. He has a lot of quotes. This one's probably my favorite. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, no, he does it by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. You see, this work of Reformation, it isn't flashy, it isn't exciting, it is hard, tedious, long work, and you have to work like everything depends on us and know, and know that the only way that reformation is truly possible is depending on God. You work as though everything is dependent upon us and you know deep down in trust that the only way it is possible is to trust in God. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, we are so grateful for this community of people, this community of believers who make up First Baptist Church Tryon. Thank you for the work that was done last week. Thank you for the seeds that were planted Thank you for the lives that were impacted. Thank you for opportunities to serve. Because in your strange math, O Lord, it seems like the more we give, the more we receive. We try to do things for others and things end up being done for us. We try to share Christ with others, and yet when we get there, it seems that you've already been there. And we see Christ in those other people. We confess, O Lord, that at times we border on apathy and cynicism and complacency. And we pray that you would move us from those places, that your spirit would breathe into us a revival, O Lord, so that we might be made anew to be your people, to be a new church, a church that is a witness to your kind of sacrificial love. We pray not only for our church, O Lord, but churches across the world. Help us to trust in you, to trust in your ways. For your way is the only way that leads to life. May that life and may that hope and may that healing be with all of us, especially the ones that we name aloud. And those of you joining us online, if you have names to offer, you may unmute yourself and do so at this time.
2: Ray Dusenberry.
0: Lord, we pray for all the ones who have been named, those left unnamed and those unknown to us. May you give them new life, may you give them healing, may you give them hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who has taught us how to pray. And if you are at home, you may unmute yourself. Join us as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father,
3: Father,
0: who art art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy thy name.
3: Thy thy kingdom kingdom come,
0: come, thy will will be done, on earth earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day day our daily bread. bread. And forgive us our our trespasses, trespasses, as we forgive forgive those who who trespass trespass against us. And lead lead us not not into temptation,
1: but deliver us from evil. evil.
0: For For thine thine is
4: the kingdom, and the power, and and the glory, forever. forever.
0: Amen. Amen. Our hymn of response this morning is hymn 477. As we sing this hymn this morning may it be our prayer may we be reminded of god's call for us to be god's people and may we be open to the spirit that seeks to reform and reshape us let us stand and sing together You may be seated for just a moment before the benediction. I would just again like to thank all of you who participated in Grace at Ford and who made that happen. Thank you so much. Uh, there's another opportunity uh, to serve and to share God's love. As you if you exit this way in the lobby, uh, we have the Angel Tree names on a the table there. If you'd like to participate in Angel Tree, that's those are names given to us through Thermal Belt Outreach Ministry, families who Uh, need an extra hand uh, during Christmas time, you can grab one of those names, and then if you will write down on the piece of paper which name you took, and I think all the instructions are here in the bulletin if you have questions about that. Again, that's this way. So I'm usually out this way, and Jim is usually out this way, and some Sunday we need to start flipping that around, don't we, I've gotten used to standing back there, but um, you don't get much business out there. Well, I would just say if you did have those five brave tickets, please come this way instead of that way. And uh, we were actually gonna process, we were gonna chop our way in this morning, but I thought that probably was not the right thing to do. But in, in a world that's very controversial and divided, the good news is mostly people in this area pull for the Braves, right? There's not too many baseball teams around here anyway. All right, enough of that, I'm sorry. It has been good to worship with you. It has been good to sing together. I don't think you're a bunch of clodhoppers in here because you were singing along with that music. Uh, let us stand now for the benediction. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus our Lord and our brother, children of Almighty God, bound together as brothers and sisters through the Spirit. You are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Amen. Go in peace.